Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. <laughs> Me and my boyfriend just got into an argument and he's going fucking crazy right now. I don't know what's wrong with him. What exactly is he doing? Nothing. He's grabbing me like he keeps fucking holding me down, trying to tell me to open my mind. He keeps telling me that something's on me, like the devil has taken over me. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's holding me down. Before that terrified voice crackled through the phone line, 20-year-old Decorious Jones was just a loving son, brother, and doting boyfriend. Deanna Horton describes Decorious as a soft-spoken, kind person. He was a big guy, all this stuff, but he was pretty much like a teddy bear. I mean, he was the sweetest person ever. He was genuine, he was loving, he always thought about others. They were high school friends, turned sweethearts, and had been dating for six months. He was a wrestler and played football in high school before dropping out, but later he finished his GED. Now Decorious works with his high school buddies waterproofing basements and lives with 18-year-old Deanna in a one-bedroom apartment at Sugarloaf Crossing in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He loves his family and was a good kid growing up. He was actually a sweet child, you know. He was a child that would always, I guess, you know, make you little strange things and <laughs> give it to you, you know. He was just that kind of a kid. He was, um, he was real. That's his dad, Curtis Jones. He liked cooking. He wanted to be, um... Uh, chef, so, you know, he started going to school for culinary arts and everything, so um, that was his, his passion, but other than that, you know, he was just a young man and really just experiencing life, trying to find his way. In finding his way, he'd been experimenting with drugs, specifically acid. I actually talked to him that morning, and we had a conversation, and he had, uh, let me know that he had did it. And I really just took it as him trying something and it was going to just be something he tried. So I talked to him and was like, because he wanted to tell his mom. And I was like, I don't think that's a good idea for you to really let her know that because I don't want her to worry. And I know how she is about her children, you know, and I didn't want her to uh, go through that, that 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 mental area, you know, thinking about him doing that and what could happen or 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 or, 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 or what does this mean in his life, you know. So um, and he, he was on it then, you know, mm-hmm. but like I say, I I just thought that it was going to be, okay, he's just going to do this and it'd be over with because I know when I was younger, I mean, I had experienced, not acid, but well, I have experimented with drugs myself when I was younger and um, 
I thought it was just, you know, I looked at it like my life. On October 15, 2016, he told his mom, Shakora Jones, about trying acid when she drove him to the grocery. I had saw him earlier that day because I had took him to Walmart, like I said, to uh, uh, pick up a few things, to, uh, do some grocery shopping, pick up a few things. So we, he had talked to me about, about how he was experimenting with him. Acid opened up his mind, he told her, and he could see everything so much clearer. I said, and this stuff affects people differently. So we had a conversation. He like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, I understand. So as like his father said, I'm thinking something he tried, he experimented with it, and it was going to be over. Like I said... I never knew it would get to this extent because had I even thought that it was going to get to this extent, I would have called if I like, look, you need to come home now because he wasn't acting for me. Like he was like, he opened his mind and he see everything, but he wasn't acting in any kind of erratic or violent or aggressive behavior. Mm-hmm. He was just like talking like he just, his mind had just been opened up. And had I knew that it would get to that point, I would have called his father and he would have come home. Yeah. But see, I think what happened after we parted, I guess he did some, did some more. So, But then I don't know how much he did. So, you know, I know they say sometimes with these drugs, it have a delayed reaction. So I guess he figured it's not doing it. So he may took more and then all of a sudden it hit him at one time. Yeah. So, but I never thought it would go this far. But it would, especially when he doesn't heed her warning to stay away from the hallucination-inducing drug. Later that night, everything would spiral into the unknown and what seemed like an alternate realm of reality. It's a brisk fall evening, and it starts out like so many others for the young couple when Decorius picks up Deanna from work at Papa John's at about 9 p.m. But that night is different. He is different. When he first got there, um, he didn't have on a shirt or anything. He just had on shorts and stuff. And then he got out, he came around, opened the door for me. I got in the car, everything just seemed fine. I was like, okay. So we're driving. And um, from where I worked was the Papa John's on West Tyke Street. And then you turn on Old Norcross there. And we're going down Old Norcross. Um, and he's like talking to me. And I'm talking back to him. Um... But then he's like, look at me while you're talking to me. And I'm like, um, okay. He's never said anything like that, to, like that to me before. So he's like, look at me while you're talking to me. And so I'm like, okay. I'm looking at him and I keep looking away because I'm not making direct. He's, he wants to make direct eye contact with me, but I'm like, you're driving. So like, why would you want me to look directly at you? He's like, look at me. I'm fine. I can drive and talk to you at the same time. I'm like, no, you can't. So he starts getting upset with me. So we're arguing. And by this time, we get to the apartment, because it's probably like eight to ten minutes away. Um, We get to the apartment, and by this time, we had already argued, so I'm like, okay, whatever, I just want to go in the house. His tone and his demeanor drastically change, and his rage escalates. We part, and he's like pulling me, like we hadn't even gotten out of the car yet, and he's like pulling me over, like, the console like to his side like to the driver's side like trying to keep me from getting out of the car and I'm like what are you doing let me go I'm trying to get out of the car like what's wrong with you so by the time I end up fighting my way off of him getting out of the car she fights him off and runs up the stairs to their apartment he eventually catches up with me picks me up put me on his shoulder carries me all the way to the apartment up the stairs and in the apartment so by this time I'm like really scared I'm like okay 
what's going on i'm asking him like what's going on you know what's wrong with you are you okay and have you because at this point i'd already known that he'd been taking the acid so i'm like have you been taking it again like are you on a trip right now like what's going on with you he gets me on the couch like i sat on the couch he comes to the couch and he's like yelling at me and he's like it got to some point where he starts saying um tell me that you're not afraid of anyone but god and your mom because i'm not afraid of anyone but god and my mom and um i'm like what are you talking about and he's like my mother's a god and i'm not afraid of anything and basically seeming as if he was like invincible in some type of way so i'm like okay um i'm not afraid of anyone but god and my mom because i can see that he's pissed off i don't want to you know do anything to make him more upset at this point so he's telling you this and then he's like no you're lying he starts choking her i'm like please let me go let me go i can't breathe say it and he keeps telling me to say it at this point i've already said it so he keeps choking me, choking me. Then he starts smacking me in my face. He's like, tell me this, tell me that. And I'm like, Decorious, I've already told you this. I'm afraid, please let me go. I will leave, just let me go. He was not going for it. So eventually I fought my way off of him and I'm standing by the TV and the TV that we had was on like a stand, like a TV stand. So I pushed the TV against him, trying to get him away from me. And at that point he's like, get out get out so at that point i'm getting out i was already on my way to the door anyways but me getting to the door he's still grabbing me and then he pushed me on the ground choked me diana breaks free and bolts out of their apartment she sprints down the stairs to the back of the complex and turns the corner where she finds a spot to crouch in the bushes and hide petrified she waits no one comes still out of breath sobbing and fearing for her life she calls 911. Calm down a minute, Pack, and understand. 1795, what? 1795, old Norcross Road. Okay, why are you crying? <laughs> oh, me and my boyfriend just got into an argument and he's going fucking crazy right now. I don't know what's wrong with him. What exactly is wrong with him? He's grabbing me like he keeps fucking holding me down, trying to tell me to open my mind. He keeps telling me that something's sounding like the devil has taken over me. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's holding me down. Like, he's literally holding me down. Okay. Where is he now? He's upstairs. He's taking all of my shit out of the house, telling me that I need to get out because I'm trying to protect myself from him because I'm fucking scared. He's yelling. Okay, take a deep breath for me. Can you make yourself oh safe God. and go into another room? I'm outside. I can't go back in there. He's going crazy. Okay. When you say he's going crazy, what exactly is he doing? I don't know what's wrong with him. He's hitting me. He's grabbing me. He keeps holding me down like something is wrong with him. I keep telling him to let me go because I can't breathe. And he keeps holding me down with him. He what? doesn't care. Okay, what does he look like? He's white, black, Hispanic, Asian? He's black and he's tall. What's his name? Decorious Jones. <laughs> Moments later, a police cruiser drives past the apartment, but fearing Decorius will see her, Deanna doesn't flag them down. And with a fat lip from their struggle, Deanna frantically calls his mom for help. She's only five minutes away and comes right over. She was sitting on the steps. I told her to go sit in my car. He like, mama, she lying, she lying. She is trying to trick you, she the devil. She just trying to trick you. Cause in his mind, he was trying to save me from her. Cause he thinks she gonna do something to me. Right. Because, like I said, his mind at this point, 
his mind playing tricks on him. Mm-hmm. So that's when he was like, well, mom, don't go back out there, mom, because she's trying to do something to you. I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. So uh, that's when he got aggressive with me, didn't want me to leave the house. And I'm like, I, that's when I'm like, she heard me telling him to stop, stop, let me out. How did she open the door? Deanna leaves the car and goes upstairs. She can hear him yelling at his mom. She's trying to calm him down. Um, and it's just going back and forth. The next thing I know, I hear screaming. I'm like, okay, at this point, I'm really scared to open the door. I don't know what's going on, what's happening. Um, I hear screaming, and then all I hear is, um, Decorious, I thought you would never hurt me. I thought you would never hurt me. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I'm like, oh, my God, he's doing something to his mom right now. And I, I... I didn't know what to do, what to think. I didn't know if he had a knife. I didn't know what was going on. I was really afraid for my life, but I couldn't just leave her in there. So I opened the door. At this point, I see him. He's on the ground with his mom on the ground. He's choking her, and his he's a pretty big guy. His, um, his knee is in his mom's neck. Like He's choking her on the ground, and his knee is holding her down against her neck. And I'm like what are you doing what are you doing what are you doing and then it's like and this is the last time i physically seen his face it's like from where the carpet cut off to where the front door is in our apartment it was probably like maybe a five foot gap i kid you not he literally launched from that carpet to the door at me and it was it was, I don't know, it looked like I saw a demon in his face, honestly. Like, he literally launched up. I, it looked something like inhuman like. In tears, she flies down the stairs to the second set of apartments and hides under the staircase. Decorius runs out of the apartment, down the stairs, and into the vast wooded area behind the apartments, wearing nothing but navy blue basketball shorts. He has no shirt, no shoes, no wallet, no cell phone, no keys. Shaking, Deanna calls 911 again. He's going crazy. He just tried to suffocate his mom. I don't have time to explain. I need someone to come out here now. Like now. It's about midnight when his mother races barefoot across the street to call 911 from the gas station. Out of breath, Shakora waits for the dispatcher to pick up on the other line. Okay, 
Oh my God, no, he probably gonna tear my phone. Cause he don't really got in mind with the devil in my mind. He trying to get the devil out of me. Gwinnett County police are dispatched to the scene for a domestic dispute between a mother and a son. And when they arrive, Shakora has a swollen lip and a scratch on her left eye. One of the officers cautiously approaches the apartment door that's been left wide open. He enters with several other officers, not knowing what or who they'll find. Waiting downstairs, Shakora and Diana fear that Decorius's demeanor could be seen as threatening by the officers, and they yell, don't shoot him, don't shoot him. Every window in the apartment is open, and as the officers make their way through each room, turning on each light one by one, Diana watches from below. The couple's bedroom is the last room they inspect. Her heart is racing. She's not sure if Decorius went back into the apartment after their chase down the stairs, and now she's afraid for his life. Decorius isn't inside. Police search the woods behind the apartment, but there's no sign of him. They file a missing persons report and an incident report for the injuries to Diana and Shakora. And on October 16, 2016, police issue a warrant for Decorius for two counts of battery and one count of false imprisonment. For more than a year, police searched for Decorius with no new leads in the case. Because he's over 18, it's really not a pressing issue, you know. It's, they don't feel no crime has been committed or whatnot. So they were real hesitant about helping us search for him because he's a grown. But one of the officers that we spoke with did go to where we told him we last seen him and he had went through the wooded area, but they, they didn't ever did find anything. I understand where they're coming from because with today's society, there are so many young adults doing their own thing, leaving, going, leaving, going. But, like, parents know their children. You know, like, well, if I knew I had a problematic son that may get mad or may get upset or may just disappear for weeks at a time, I wouldn't have been alone. But he was not that type of person. And he was close to his whole family. We have a real close-knit family, so. But I understand he is an adult and he has the right to go and come and see, please. But he wouldn't go away from his family without talking to him for days and weeks and months at a time. His family looks for him everywhere and posts thousands of flyers throughout the area. There's been no reported sightings of Decorius since that October night. And so, in their search for Decorius and for answers they aren't getting from police, his family hires a private investigator. I can't really speak for the police department, but it wasn't a... Um, Nothing added up to them to look at it as a missing persons case. They did put it in and did put him down as a missing person. So he's listed in databases as missing. But what happened that night, um, they ended up issuing warrants for his arrest. And at first they thought that he was running because he had warrants on him. That's Jane Holmes with Patricia Lane Investigations. And, and to this day, sometimes his mom will even tell you that she said, I have hope he's alive. And I think he's alive. I think he's embarrassed of his actions that night. And so they're, they're actually, the warrants are still active, and they do send out someone to investigate or to go to the mom's house to say, you know, is he here? At one point, um, we were told that Gwinnett County thought that, that he was being hidden because of the warrants. But they're only misdemeanor assault warrants. There's nothing, he doesn't have a criminal history. He doesn't have any type of activity with law enforcement at all. So for him to disappear for a year with such a minor misdemeanor charge just didn't make sense. 
to me or anybody else. After several interviews with those closest to DeCorius, although some of his friends refused to talk to her, Jane enlists the help of Tracy Sargent, a canine handler and cadaver dog search investigator. Tracy and her canines, Chance and Draco, specialize in missing persons cases. They're an investigative tool. They're part of this team. So what I have realized over the years when I first started this was that, hey, we've got to find that person. We, that's what we're here for. Honestly, it's not. We certainly want to find them, but it's about information. And what I tell the families and law enforcement agencies, there's only one thing I can promise you. We're going to know more at the end of the day than we did at the beginning of the day. Because the dogs, again, will tell us where something is or where something isn't. So what I've realized over the years is that knowing where somebody isn't is just as important, and it's a very important part of the investigation. Jane and Tracy schedule a cadaver search for November 15, 2017, thinking maybe DeCorius was injured and never made it out of those woods that he ran into a year earlier. Tracy and I both thought, well, if he's deceased, he's probably going to be somewhere nearby. And maybe he got hurt in the woods. You know, the family searches, but you can, when you talk to Tracy, you'll see, you can walk right over a body, you never see it. Because you, th- you think you're looking for something, then you're, you're envisioning a body, but after three or four months, it's not going to look like that. And plus, we had fall, and the leaves, and the pine straw. I mean, it could easily be covered. Tracy and her team carefully combed through the wooded area behind his apartment complex. But after hours of scouring acres of land, they find no evidence of DeCorius. I was thinking we for sure we'd find him. But there's one area that we couldn't, couldn't search with the dog because it's a very boggy, muddy, it's almost like quicksand. And the dog was sinking, I was sinking, Tracy was sinking, and so we told um, the police that that's one area that they may need to search with something else. But it's been very frustrating. So, um, could he be alive out there? He could be. To this day, there's been no sign of him. And three years later, Deanna Horton can't shake that night. It's seared into her memory. It was very severe for me. I, at first, I wasn't eating. I wasn't talking to anyone. I really went into like a really deep depression because I did love him. I mean, I cared for him. And just knowing and thinking back of how sweet he was, it was just shocking to think that all of this happened. And especially to me. For me, I had to push it to the side because I had other things to do. But it's always going to be there. And I feel like it's really going to be there because we don't know where he is. I feel like um, when he is found, that will be really a sign of relief. And I can probably um, come to terms with what happened and just him being okay. Because I, no matter what happened, no matter how I move on, I just want him to be okay. I want him to come home. And that's really it. Uh, This is nothing you can really forget about. And while she's moved on with her life, she wants him to know she forgives him. You'll love him as a person, definitely. Um, He was a wonderful person. I would just say, just come home and just try to make it better. No one's holding it. Well, I'm not. I'm sure his family is holding it against you. It, It happened, and I feel like the main thing now is for someone to actually just see his face. 
she holds out hope that he's still alive. In my heart, I really feel like he is. And I just feel like if he is alive, he's somewhere probably delusional, don't know what's going on. Um, I would hope no one's doing anything to him. But then again, if he's not, I feel like somewhere in that span of what happened in that time, he ran up on someone else and someone, you know, (laughs) was trying to defend themselves. So either way, I I hope he's alive. And I really, I just hope he's alive. I I don't really know where to go from there. I don't really like to think about the fact of him not being alive, but it's where you get to a point where you really have to face reality. And his family holds the door open, waiting for him to come home. Man, I love you, man. And like I say, there's nothing that you could do to stop that love. And we need you home because it's a void in our lives without him. He, we love him. We miss him. We want him to come home. He, he, he know he always has a home to come home to. There's nothing he can do where he couldn't come home. Because like I said, if we need to get you some help, be it mental, physical, whatever needed to happen, we're going to make it happen. Curtis begs anyone with information about his son to come forward. He has a family that loves him, and, you know, a lot of people are hurting because they don't know where he's at. And I just would plead for anyone with a heart or or some con- or, or conscious to, you know, um, give any information that you have about the chorus, you know, because if it was vice versa and it was your family or a family member, think about how you would feel, how your mother would feel, or how your father would feel, your sister, your brother, you know, so I would plead with them in that area to, you know, help us find the chorus. Just not knowing, man, I guess just thinking what could I have done to not have let this happen, you know. So I I think that's kind of like the hardest part for me. Shakora believes her son is still alive. I don't feel in no way, shape, form, or fashion that he's dead. I just feel he's somewhere not in his right mind. But I feel in time he will get back to his right mind and he will come back home to us when he's more like himself. The family set up a $5,000 reward for information about DeCorius' whereabouts, and a reward, Jane Holmes says, can be a telltale sign of who knows something, or in this case, who doesn't. If someone knows where he is, if he's being hidden by someone, then they may come forward and give a tip to get the money. Because people are always, you know. When no one comes forward, that either tells me the only person, the people that know where he is or someone who had something to do with his, him being gone or, or really no one knows. But so far, no takers. Nothing indicates to me that he's alive because anyone that works in missing cases knows that it's very, very hard to just go completely off the grid, especially when you've got no money, no phone, no way to communicate. He can't, he can't get an ID because he's got warrants. Every, every, he, he hasn't popped up on the grid anywhere. Unless he's, we've thought of scenarios of maybe he's in a homeless shelter and maybe he tripped out so much that he had a psychotic event that he doesn't know who he is. There's no, there's no proof that he's dead and there's no proof that he's alive. Maybe no proof means there is hope.
All right, Jessica, thanks for bringing us this story. It's, I mean, it's crazy. This young man is just vanished after this, which is, I mean, the story is harrowing. It's one you've been covering or, or at least started covering a while back, right, when it first happened? Right. I started covering this story um, actually about a year after he disappeared. So right about when uh, Jane got involved as a, as a PI on the case and interviewed her and Tracy and then his parents. And, you know, even at that point, his mom fully believed that he was still out there, still alive, and had maybe lost his memory um, and, and something had happened to him. But he, but she believed with all her heart that he was still alive. And you mentioned uh, the private investigator and, and another update, right, from her as well, right? Right. I talked to Jane um, last week and a, a strange turn of events. The Gwinnett County Police had taken his phone to do some analysis on it to see if they could figure anything out about his whereabouts, and they misplaced his phone. And so it took several months before Jane actually found out that they had found his phone in some random box in a cubicle, um, and now she has the phone. But they had—it had gone missing for— I think about a year. So when you're saying that recently she went to look into this, as you explained in the story, right, and the phone was missing and then it's turned back up and now now she's able to look at it? So Jane actually had possession of his phone when I interviewed her. And the phone was kept active. His mother, Shakur, kept the phone active in case he were to call it or anyone else would, you know, call or text to kind of, use those as breadcrumbs and and clues to where he might be. So they kept the phone active. And back in 2018, in the spring, uh, Jane went to the Gwinnett County Police Department, who was asking for the phone so that they could do an analysis on it. And when she called them back and said, hey, what's the status of the phone? They couldn't find it. And so then... In November 2019, uh, she got a call from them saying that they had found it in a box in some cubicle. And Jessica, can you describe the the woods um, and and kind of the uh, the searching that took place after he went missing into these woods? I mean, it was in the fall, so he would not have died from hypothermia um, and initial exposure. So what was the timeline of them searching and how uh, intensely did they did they search the woods? From what I'm told from Jane and his parents, the police did a preliminary search. Uh, soon after he disappeared, they couldn't find him. I don't know that they went back and did um, an extended search, but I do know that Jane and Tracy with the cadaver dogs had gone out a year after he disappeared in search of him. And we're talking um, several acres that they looked over. And by the time that they had gone to search for uh, any clue of him being out in the woods, there was construction happening, so there was a lot of debris and things like that that they had to get through, and um, they actually did find some bones, but then it turned out that they were deer bones. Um, they they found no trace of any evidence that he was there once he ran into the woods. He didn't, you know, they thought maybe he had injured himself and maybe died while he was out there, but there was no trace of that at all. 
All right, Jessica, any final updates on this story or this investigation? The family um, still has a Facebook page that's live, and that's Jane monitors that Facebook page for messages and things. Um, and you can find that at facebook.com slash Jones. And if you have any information about his whereabouts, you can call the Gwinnett County Police Department in Georgia at 770-513-5302. All right, Jessica, thanks for bringing us the story this week. Spencer, you're bringing us next week's story, I believe, a case out of Denver. Yeah, that's right. It is uh, brought to us by Kevin Vaughn, who is a veteran reporter out in Denver. Um, and it is about a young um, intern, journalism intern that is interning at, at a local radio station that disappears. All right. We'll be back with that one next week. Jessica, where can people learn more about us? We are on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under Vault Studios, as well as Inside the Crime Vault, and a Facebook group page that is Inside the Crime Vault, where you can come and discuss this case and other cases that we're covering and chat among other people who may have a case that we should look into. All right. Thanks very much, Jessica. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.